What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Chris DeFrancesco. Joining me this week uh, to cover, you know, one of the best Royal Rumbles of all time, uh, George Rogers. What's going on, brother? Ah, I love it. Yeah, love man. It. Love yeah. this paper, yeah. And uh, we are recording this on Sunday night, so that means we are six days away from uh, a, a uh, just another huge Royal Rumble event uh, going to be, I believe, I was just looking this up. Um, I think it's going to be in St. Louis, right, at the Dome um, in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, you know, we have Brock Lesnar versus Bobby Lashley, Seth Rollins versus Roman Reigns. Uh, it's going to be just an, an epic Rumble. As far as we know, dude, I mean, it's it's as always at Rumble season, there's always a couple surprises. However, I have heard, and I try to stay away from dirt sheets at all before the Rumble. Um, I'll look at like ratings and stuff, but I don't like to click on anything that says, you know, possible entrance to the Rumble because I, I really like being shocked. But we have heard like nothing regarding uh, uh, who's going to possibly be in the Rumble. I do know we've heard the one rumor where, you know, one of those breaking the fourth wall, you know, crossovers. Uh, we have that with Mickey James and the women's Royal Rumble. Um, what are your expectations for the men's Royal Rumble? Do you, do you expect it to be a straightforward uh, match this year, or do you expect some big surprises? Uh, you know, I don't uh, – I, I really don't have any expectation on this. Plus, I also – usually, you know, kind of going into the Rumble, you get kind of an idea – of who the front runner is or who the um, like who the leaders and it's like, who's like the, like the Vegas odds winner. Mm -hmm. And we have really no idea. They haven't, I know. you know, they haven't leaned one way or the other on mm -hmm. who could win the rumble. Um, they have not said, at least as far as I know, because I've uh, removed every wrestling site off of my Facebook <laughs> because as I told you, Chris, I want to enjoy wrestling yeah. again, but I feel like I can't. If I'm right. constantly like hearing it from the dirt sheets and, you know, just random other Facebook groups, I, I just can't, it, it's too much. I so agree. I just, I've removed myself from that. So I know Cody Rhodes was a possible rumor. Um, I know Ambrose is a rumor, but they both just showed up on dynamite, mm -hmm. but Cody's still working without a contract. So. Yeah, that's, that's a super interesting situation that's continuing to develop there is if he's really if it's not a work which you know the way AEW is everything to them is, is just a real work especially if they think that they're getting one over on the e which is just weird to me i mean if cody is is legitimately not on you know working on a contract that's that's super interesting to me that he could possibly be the guy that shows up in the rumble. But then again, I just feel like, I just don't think that's going to happen. I, I just don't know. They could just be working everybody and, you know, and they're all going to think, Oh, like, you know, who's going to cross the forbidden door. First off, I don't, I don't really don't give a shit. I don't care if anybody from AEW comes over and goes in the rumble. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, am I going to be blown away? If Sonny kiss shows up in the rumble? No, not at all. In fact, I probably shut the paper view <laughs> off and walk away. I'm like, Nope, I'm done. If this is yeah. your, this is what you're bringing in. I, I made a joke. Um, to one of the guys at work, that it'd be awesome if number thirty in the Rumble was Danhausen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 
you know, it's funny. I was thinking of a name earlier today, and the first name that came to my head was uh, um, what's his name, Magnus, Mickey James's husband. Oh yeah, um, it makes total sense to me because he's been rumored to be doing WWE stuff for a few years, but then he just kept re-signing with the NWA. But I feel like. I mean, if they're bringing Mickey James over, it wouldn't be a bad idea. If you're working with the NWA, why not bring over the biggest mm-hmm. star they have, right? So, um, I that was a name that popped up into my head. As I mean, he's he's got the look that Vince just you know drools over. So it's that's something that's that's another name that I've been thinking about. But I'm with you. I mean, I, I mean, there's also there's also plenty of guys who who were in Impact who kind of really aren't doing too much now. Like they're not with the company anymore, yeah. And they're just kind of milling about. You know, James Storm is a name that kind of comes to mind. Yep. Uh, he was in NXT once already, so mm-hmm. you know, what's to say he doesn't have a good working relationship? He could just come back, you know, do a one-off spot in the Rumble, maybe at the same time Robert Roode is in the rumble and then they have them both kind of look at each other and do like a little bit of a beer money reunion right there. Yeah. Which is, would be pretty badass. Oh yeah. Um, that would be great. God, I, I, I enjoyed the heck out of them. Um, but you're right. I mean, there's just so many names that pop up and I'm at this point now just going to be like, you know what, whatever happens, happens. Uh, it can really, I mean, I even, and part of me thinking Matt Cardona, you know, Zach Ryder could be the guy to do it because I don't care. I, I don't care either, but apparently he's like one of the hottest guys in the, you know, non big company scene right now, but he's like um, the hottest guy in his head. Yeah, I know. He's, I know. Still, he's still like a nobody. He doesn't work for any company. He's like, Oh, he just beat Rhino and won the ECW television title and then put it in the trash. Oh, good. So you won a title that you don't, that you don't actually own. Yeah. Just for just, j- j- just to what, just, just to pop the internet. Nope. Yes. He's like one of those, and like, look, I I respect him for being a big wrestling mark, and he truly is, but it's like his whole career, he's just trying to be like in the My GM mode for a WWE 2K game where he's trying to create like his own historical storylines and just redo them and just hope that they're cool. Like, that's all he does, because everything he does now, it's like he's stealing from something else and recreating it. It's just whatever. I mean, look, he's making money. Yeah, well, like every time I see somebody put something up, they're like, oh, WWE dropped the ball with him. It's like, no, they didn't. No, I mean, he again, yeah. he's done absolutely nothing for any major company since leaving. Like, yeah, nothing. Yeah. Let's all picture the time where Zack Ryder is going to pin Roman Reigns for a world title. No one <laughs> is buying that ever. <laughs> Never, ever. Not even close. Um, all right, so... Let's get to the reason we are here. It is Royal Rumble month. This is the final Royal Rumble we are going to cover this year. Um, Unless I'm having an off week and I really am interested in the Royal Rumble, but I don't think so. I think starting next week, uh, we are really going to get into WrestleMania season. There's a lot of WrestleManias to cover, and I really want to start getting into some manias. And I have them all written down somewhere. I think I'll get them by the end of the show to let you Plus guys all know. Those no Way Out pay-per-views also. Oh, I do want to cover the No Way Out pay-per-view of 03 when we saw the return of the NWO. So that's that's definitely... Um, oh, it was O uh, two. O two. 2 I'm sorry. The O two. 2 uh, yeah, lead up to WrestleMania 18. So I think No Way Out O two 2 was definitely on, on my agenda. Um, so I, I'm interested in reading about that pay-per-view uh, over again. But tonight we are covering uh, the Royal Rumble from 2002, which just celebrated its 20-year anniversary just a few days ago. George, 2002, 20 years ago already. Unfriggin' believable. It's wild. <laughs> I, 
I almost hate, I, I hate covering these pay-per-views because now I'm like, God, now the 2000s are 20 years ago. <laughs> so technically, oldie stations can start playing 90s music as oldies. They, they already have. Um, oh. I don't get the station up here very well, but I still have oldies 98 saved on my radio. Mm-hmm. But when I come back, when I'm usually I'm down in your area, I'll, if I'm not listening to something on my phone, I'll flip over to it. And they do play songs from the 90s. <laughs> wow. Uh, most, that's... Recently, most recently, I heard it was a song Family Affair by Mary J. Blige, which I'm pretty sure that song came out in like 98, 99. Dear so God. <laughs> I'm like, I remember I heard it. I looked over at Amy. I was like, they shouldn't be playing this right now. Like, this is insane. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so just real quick before we get started, what I have a rundown since I just pulled it up in front of me. Coming up on the Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast, we are going to cover The Rock. Uh, the year 2000 and 2001. I was going to do that this week, but there's a lot of meat on the bone there. And um, with the Niners playing this past weekend, uh, I had a lot going on. I just did not have the time to sit down and literally just run through the entire two years of The Rock. I really want to do that that chunk of business respect. And I, I want to give it the time it deserves because The Rock's 2000-2001 is arguably, you know, the the big one of, if not the biggest like stretches, a two year stretch in the history of the business in terms of profits, main events. Um, it, it, I just really want to get into that. Um, but okay. So, and then we're going to cover uh, stone cold from 2001. Uh, that's going to be phenomenal. Then we're going to go into WrestleMania 13, uh, WrestleMania 14, WrestleMania 2000. And we're going to go, uh, let's see, in the Wayback Machine 13 years ago, WrestleMania 25. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are going to be a few of the WrestleManias and topics we are going to be covering over the next couple months. Uh, so a lot of a lot of good shit, pal, coming right up uh, here on the hot tag. But finally, we're 13 minutes in. I will finally get to uh, you guys why we are here. So Royal Rumble 2002, January 20th. Let's like I always like to do because I like giving people kind of like an overview of where we are, where the WWF is and where they were the last couple years with this pay-per-view. So back in 2000, the 2000 Rumble, uh, it had 590,000 buys on pay-per-view over 19,230 paid a live gate of $1.1 million um, back in 2000. Uh, 157,000 of that was at the merch table. Um, So it was one of only three pay-per-views that year to reach the million-dollar gate plateau, which is, I mean, the the year 2000, the WWE was firing on every cylinder you could ever create in terms of money-making. However, in 2001, this is where it's like interesting how money how money works year over year. So like I said to you guys, 590,000 buys in 2000. It goes up to 625,000 in 2001. However, it goes from a $1.1 million gate to a $666,000 gate um, and 93,000 at the merchandise table. So you have more pay-per-view buys the next year, but almost, you know, uh, 2000 almost doubled the live gate in terms of the arena, uh, which is wild to think about that. Now let's go to 2002. The buys go up again for the third straight year, 665,000 buys um, for this pay-per-view, 
13,000 sold out, paid a live gate of 860 grand, the sixth highest gate of the year. Um, so the WWF had the buys and a real solid gate um, since the attendance was only 13,000. Um, this is uh, the 15th Royal Rumble and notably the last one under the World Wrestling Federation name as the company would officially become World Wrestling Entertainment just four months later in May. Um, so, you know, George, we're a year, we're a year, basically we're uh, uh, about to hit the year mark that following the purchase of the, of the, of world championship wrestling, um, where were you as a fan in 2002? If you can remember, uh, you know, were you as big of a fan as ever? Did you enjoy like almost every week, man, Raw and SmackDown was just hot. Um, where were you in, in terms of O2 and your fandom? O2 is actually a pretty um, a pretty banner year for me in terms of my fandom because in 2002 was when I was finally able to go to my first live show. That's awesome. So I went to two live shows in 2002. Mm -hmm. I went to one, which was the final SmackDown before the brand split. That's awesome. So, um, which was, that was just after my birthday in 2002, just before, I think just before WrestleMania that year. Um, but prior to that, mm -hmm. the first live show I went to, it was a, it was a house show on a Sunday at the, uh, in Trenton at the old Sovereign Bank Arena. Wow. And wow. it was that particular house show, I'll never forget it. It was the day before Triple H returned to Monday Night Raw. Holy cow. And the reason why I remember it was because Triple H showed up at that house show. What did he do? He just came out, you know, cheese to the crowd. And that was pretty much it. Told so everyone to told everyone to tune in to Raw tomorrow night. <laughs> so I've been to that Sovereign Bank Arena 15 times for house shows. Mm -hmm. I love that arena. It is mm -hmm. so intimate. Like, you are so – it reminds me um, – I'm not sure if you've ever been to a house show like at Wildwood in the convention center. Not a house show, but – oh, no, no, not Wildwood. I was like saying that. Okay. But, I mean, even, even Atlantic City, it's so small and it's so mm -hmm. intimate. And what was it like when you heard Triple H's theme song hit? It, you you couldn't literally hear anything an outer body experience as jr would Every, say <laughs> everyone just yeah. came unglued i mean it's not it's not a small arena but it, it shook you could literally feel the rafter shaking when his music hit because it was i think it was leaked that he was going to show up so wow. a bunch of people so a bunch of people were like oh triple h gonna show up and then we're like no he's gonna show up tomorrow night and then he came out and we're like damn and that was also the first time I got to see Brock Lesnar before Brock wow. Lesnar because he was just a, you know, he was, he was working the house show scene. It was just, you know, he was just a you know, young OVW guy. Um, that's... I wish I could remember more from that show. Um, but I distinctly remember, I distinctly remember it was a tag <laughs> match. I think Scotty too hotty and Rikishi against someone and Scotty was jumping on the ropes and he fell. <laughs> but then they did the same match on raw the next night and he fell again so now i wonder if it was just planned <laughs> dude that's like one the if you don't remember anything from that show 
just always remember Triple H showing up. So, I mean, that's that's absolutely I can't even fathom if I would have been there for that, not knowing, you know, there was no Twitter. There was no Facebook. You know, it was barely even any like, you know, for us at that age, like Internet to go search for dirt sheets back then, like just being there and being like, oh, my God, Triple H is showing up out of nowhere. It's like, holy, take take everything I have. I'm good. Um, So. One day, you said you went to that SmackDown before the brand extension. I would like to cover that. I'd like to cover that show one day um, with you so you can, you know, relive that. And I, I think that'd be really cool to cover a big show that you were part of. So um, yeah. we'll we'll do that one day. Um, all right. So going back here, they also did the brand extension a few months later in 2002 to get more people uh, on the shows with some being exclusive to Raw while others were exclusive to SmackDown. Uh Due to all that that it was, you know, a big year for that company, um, you know, plus it was around this time that WWE signed the NWO members, Hogan, Paul and Nash to return to the company, much to the chagrin of pretty much everybody in the back. Um, but, um, you know, there was a lot going on in this period, dude. I mean, a lot. This 2002 was like a 2022 dirt sheets dream these days. Um, what was going on? Um and, you know, I, as always, I've always been mentioning the pay-per-view buy rate numbers for every Rumble pay-per-view that I cover. I go back a year or two. But for this one, it's interesting to note, you know, 600 and, you know, 70,000 pay-per-view buys are the most for any Royal Rumble in WWE history. That number was helped by the fact that in the UK, they had to buy the pay-per-view instead of getting it for free as they did in previous years. If that was the case in 1999 with 650,000 buys, perhaps that would have been by far the record. Anyway, notwithstanding, this was a super successful show on pay-per-view for the WWF. Um, And again, and even though we talked about this before, it was, you know, I think this was a 98 Rumble. We said it was very an obvious winner. I really felt like this was, another rumble where it seemed like the obvious winner had to be triple H coming back from a torn quad injury back in May of 01 after being out, you know, eight to nine months, you know, could he win the rumble? Let's go back to 2002, you know, and, 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 you know, let's go to 2002 here and figure out how is he going to come back? Like, did you in your mind at that time say this has to be the triple H rumble? Part of me thought it, yeah, but it was kind of, it, it's also hard to bet against Stone Cold going into a Royal Rumble. Exactly. Because you never know. Mm-hmm. You just, yeah, you're right. You just don't know. Um, all right. So here we go. Phillips Arena in Atlanta, Georgia. The opening video package showed some highlights of famous Royal Rumble match moments over the previous 15 years. Uh, it also features some of the key players for this event. Uh, there was a really badass pyro display to start the broadcast. The fans in Atlanta were loud. Atlanta is a very big hotbed for, for pro wrestling, specifically old WCW. Uh, but, you know, they were loving their WWF at this point. Um, they had shots of WWF New York as well, was packed. Um, and then we get, you know, right into the first match, which was um, a three-way dance um, for, I'm sorry, a two-way for the um, WWF Tag Team Championships, Taz and Spike Dudley, odd mix, versus the Dudley Boys. Um, great, great mix. That's a that's yes. an awesome, 
with, with the exception of Stacey Keebler, that's an all ECW uh, match there. All ECW it, it, alumni. You, you're right. Um, and then you have Stacey Keebler, of course, who was Stacey Keebler in 2002. Um, the sure, winners, yes. Uh, the winners of this were uh, Taz and Spike Dudley. Um, I gave this match about two stars. It was fine for the time they were given with Spike doing a good job of selling his neck injury. Um, you know, Bubba and Devon were, were excellent in selling the comebacks. Uh, the finish put over the Taz mission as a deadly finish. Um, even though Taz did not have a lot of in-ring success in the WWE, um, this title reign of Taz and Spike lasted a wonderful 43 days. So it's not like, you know, this was a long-term uh, booking. Were you kind of shocked looking back, like, wow, they had Taz and Spike go over the Dudleys? Or is that one of those things where, you know, you just, you just, um, it's just do something for pure shock and who cares what comes up the next day? Like Vince Russo booking. I just kind of rolled with it. Um, Cause it was, it was all about kind of pushing the feud between Spike and his brothers quote brothers between spike and his brothers yeah you know because the whole thing is that you know you know spike can't do it on his own you know all, all that all that good shit yeah uh, then they teamed up with taz which made him you know which made that tag team a credible threat and they were and they were faces too because taz typically wasn't too much of a face during his run right right better, right he's always been a better heel yeah um and the, Dull- and the dullies were the heel on this occasion so it mm-hmm. was, it very was much so Oh, yeah, I mean, it was only like a five-minute match. Like I, th- like it ended, and I was like, "Oh, that's that's it." Yeah, it, w- it wasn't long. It was that's why I gave it two stars because I thought they did a lot of really good work with the time they were given. Um, the after the match, they showed replays of Raw when William Regal used brass knuckles to pin Edge in a tag match on SmackDown. Edge used a steel chair on Regal. Test and referee Nick Patrick, the famous Nick Patrick. Um, <laughs> Uh, which the fans love since Edge was a baby face at this time. Edge was interviewed backstage by Lillian Garcia, a very young Lillian Garcia. Uh, Edge had a steel chair with him to show that if Regal wants to play dirty, he can play with the best of them. Uh, William Regal made his entrance. It was noted by JR that the IC title had changed hands five times in, uh, at the Royal Rumble pay-per-views. Edge got a pretty good solid reaction from the crowd as a baby face on the rise. At this time, I might be the only person that liked the song because I can't stand the guy who sings it. However, George, I really did enjoy the never going to stop theme for edge. How about you? Stop it. <laughs> I, 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 mean, I, 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 I did like it up until he got metalingus and I was like, all right, oh, well, metalingus is top this five. Is, ever. Uh, this is 10 times better. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was also, at, that was also at a time in my life where I did, I did enjoy Rob Zombie's music. However, as the years have gone on, it has you not learned. Aged, <laughs> you it has learned. not aged too well with me. Just like his movies have not aged too well with me. No, I agree. And I um, actually, complete, I actually completely forgot about that entrance until I was watching the pay per view, and I was like, "Oh God!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's wild to look back um, at that. But Edge has had some pretty good theme songs uh, throughout his career, with Metalingus being obviously, you know, so iconic. Um, Intercontinental Championship match, Edge versus William Regal, the winner, and by pinfall, and the new WWF IC champion, William Regal. So Regal getting the rub here. Um, I gave this uh, match two and a half stars. 
Um, this was a solid mid-card match to me with a really good crafty finish to lead up to the title change. Regal was an old-school heel man all the way through and through that cheated at all times, uh, oh, yeah. which was which was such a big part of not only his storylines when he wrestled, but a big part of this match as well. Um, I, I do think they could have done a better job uh, of making it look like Edge might win since they didn't really have many near falls here. Um, the story was about Regal cheating to win. This feud really didn't do much to help Edge, in my opinion, but I think it did do a hell of a lot to solidify William Regal as a legitimate heel. That's how I took from this. Um, your thoughts? I mean, I, who who can actually say they they didn't enjoy anything that William Regal did in this era, right? Oh, I, I mean, I always enjoyed it. Always enjoyed yeah. it. That was also, I think this is also the pay-per-view where he where he coined that term, uh, the power of the punch. Yes, it was. Uh, I, I was blessed with the power of the punch, which that, I don't know if you remember, in the video games, that was like the actual move where if you had the power of the punch as the finisher, it would be you you reached into your tights, pulled out knucks, and punched somebody in the face. Like, that was it. Like, that was the whole move. <laughs> Um, now you're right. Uh, let's see here. Post-match Regal was interviewed by Michael Cole. Regal said that he was blessed with the gift of the power of the punch and left with the IC title. The announcers bickered about what happened. Then they go right in, uh, to the next match here. The entrances, uh, took place for the women's title match with referee Jacqueline out first. Um, then challenger Jazz and Trish Stratus was the champ, uh, the champion was last. They showed a clip of uh, Jazz attacking the left hand of Trish Stratus on SmackDown. Uh, so Trish had her left hand taped up. Kayfabe, pal. Um, WWF Women's Championship match, Trish Stratus versus Jackie, or versus Jazz. The winner by pinfall, no surprise here, was Trish Stratus. So because I think Jazz is a hell of a worker and I, Trish is an all-time worker, um, I gave this match one star. Um, it was decent with Stratus doing a nice job on the comeback to get the win, which is a, what she did the majority of the time. Um, this was very early in Trish's wrestling days when WWE was trying to make her look like a legit, you know, make her look legit as a champion by beating tougher women like Jazz. Um, I thought they could have told a better story with Jazz working over the left wrist of Stratus even more than she did because it would have been better to see Trish make a really good baby face comeback from that. Um, your thoughts on this? I mean, was it, I mean, obviously this is a time where Trish was just getting a rocket strapped to her. Um, but I also look back at this match when I was watching, I was like, man, jazz could work too. Jazz was another one of those, you know, aforementioned forgotten women's workers that were, was ahead of her time. Yeah. I mean, it was, the match was what, I mean, it, it was what it was. It was obviously Trish was starting to come into her own and, you know, like as you said, she had, she had the rocket strapped her back. Like she was getting ready to go right to the top mm-hmm. of that division. And I, I I found this match a little weird because at one point in the match, Trish did hit her Stratisfaction Bulldog mm-hmm. and Jazz kicked out. But right. then she won the match on just a regular Bulldog out of the corner. And that was mm-hmm. it. I'm like, and I was confused. I'm like, I'm like, she what? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I was kind of, I was kind of throw it off by it but we also got a little bit of tension there too between jackie and jazz yes um because they yeah. had a, a i think they had a, a little bit of a thing going into the pay-per-view also right uh, yeah they did 
Um, hence why Jackie w- was there in the first place. Um, and, uh, and Jerry Lawler made a comment when, when, when Jacqueline came out, she go, oh, how come all referees can't dress like that? <laughs> and, and JR was like, Oh, do you want to see Earl Hebner walking around in that? And he's like, oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell the Shawn Michaels. Cause he'll give it a try. Um, <laughs> uh, a, vi- a video package aired to set up Vince McMahon versus Ric Flair. This is where we are in 2002, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it started on November 19th, 2001, when Flair returned to the WWF after eight years uh, to reveal he was co-owner of the WWF with Vince McMahon. Uh, they had arguments all the time with Flair saying that he was going to wrestle Vince at the Royal Rumble. The story continued with cheap shots, bloody battles, shock, uh, and more leading to Flair announcing that it would be a street fight. Um, Flair made his entrance in one of his traditional blue robes and he got a huge pop. Uh, they showed his daughter and his son, you know, his late son, uh, Reed, uh, at ringside taking pictures. Um, you know, Flair has talked about this match saying he wasn't sure he was up to do it. Um, not, you know, not wrestling since that final show at WCW before he came back, but I thought he looked really good leading into this match. Um, Vince entered looking like the incredible friggin' Hulk. Um, with Lawler, yeah, Yeah. just jacked to the gills. Um, you know, with Lawler getting super excited how jacked Vince looked. (laughs) See, let's go. He's got muscles in places where most guys don't have places, you know, that exactly classic Jerry Lawler line. (laughs) Yes. Um, so Vince McMahon versus Ric Flair, the winner by submission is Ric Flair. Um, you know. Vince was the older of the two men at this point. He was 56 years old. Uh, Flair was one month shy of his 52nd birthday. Um, so if I'm going to analyze this match, when I went into it, I thought for sure I was absolutely going to just want to be like, wow, this is, uh, um, this is just not going to be good. However, there was nothing in this match that damaged it, in my opinion. It was, it was typical. I gave it three stars, three and a half stars. I have it here. It was typical of a Vince match in this area that was heavy on storyline. Um, and he never gave, you know, had great athleticism. He wasn't that catch as catch can type worker. He wasn't even a brawler. He was just there. He was just a fish that flopped around and got some moves in. Um, but he always found a way to put on an entertaining match. Um, they did a great job of having Vince dominate for the most part, which was weird, but, um, then Flair made the comeback. He of course found a way to bleed. Um, he found a way, you know, a a way to win. You would expect like, I like the weapons that they use. It wasn't excessive, which I expected to happen. I expected watching this, like, Oh, remember him back. Like, Oh, there must've been a ton of gimmicks, you know, to cover the fact that Vince couldn't work and that, you know, Rick is working with a 56 year old. Uh, you know, non-wrestler. Um, so then, um, you know, the blood helped tell the story of the match that made it very personal on a big win for Flair, um, who obviously should have won the match as the babyface. Um, what was your thoughts uh, on, on this match? It was entertaining as all as all hell. I mean, a, a Vince match, it's as you said, a Vince match isn't going to be a catch as catch can. It's not going to be a technical bow. It's not going to be high right. flying. It's all about whether or not the match tells the story. And this match told the story from from opening bell to closing bell. Yes. Like that, like 
and that's the one thing that I think a lot of the companies or or a lot of people I should say always mm-hmm. kind of will always kind of give um, WWE shit about is that now all all these matches always end with a roll up or a DQ or whatever. It's like it's like it's not about the match. It's about the story. It's storyline progression is what it is. And mm-hmm. that's what this was. This was about the story. Rick was going to get the one over on Vince. Vince was going to lose his mind that he they, you know, that, that he lost to Ric Flair. And you know, I'm going to poison the company with NWO. You know, like that yeah. was all leading up to that. Yeah. So it, it's all about the story. If they're going to have a match, they'll have a match. But it's it, it's always been about the story because that's what keeps that's what keeps people like us invested. That's what gets us keep coming back week after week after I, week. The hot I, shot I agree. is not the hot shot booking does not bring you back week after week. You want to be you want to be invested in these storylines. I you agree. Want to be invested in these characters. Vince and Flair at a combined age of well over a hundred. I know. You know, yeah. that's they, they they did the job that they were to do. Yes, I, I agree. Um Let's see here. Next thing I got. Oh, there's an interview with referee Nick Patrick that was conducted by Michael Cole. Patrick said nothing as Stephanie McMahon Holmesy showed up while Patrick left. Stephanie said that the beating Flair gave Vince is nothing compared to what Triple H would do in the Royal Rumble. Stephanie named off wrestlers that Triple H would destroy in the Rumble match, including Steve Austin. And she wished Deborah would be at ringside so they can destroy her. Uh, let's see here. And then oh, Austin up right. behind her. Yep. Wearing that uh he didn't wear this one very often. It was the black vest with the gold lettering. Wow. Yeah. Uh I love which I love. That was, um, I, love I was I was a I was a sharp vest. Yeah, and I and uh, that was also when he would wear the gold with like he had like the white braces. Oh, that mm-hmm. was awesome. Uh Austin walked out, uh walked out of the room down the hall and he walked up to Stephanie from behind. Austin shouted what at her repeatedly. The fans joined in. Uh, Stephanie was unable to say anything and Austin just kept shouting what at her. So Stephanie just ran away screaming. Austin did the what routine at Cole as well. Uh, he said he was going to eliminate 29 pieces of trash while mentioning Kurt Angle, Triple H, Undertaker, and adding he's going to win the Royal Rumble again. Uh, Cole asked if the bottom line was one word and Austin said what in reply to that. Uh, the what chant originated in this, the previous summer in 2001, where Austin obviously was a heel by that point. By the end of 2001, Austin was a face. So almost all of his promos incorporated the what chant in a way that would, you know, lead to fans chanting it even today. Um, you know, and we still hear that, that chant, you know, every single week. Think about that chant. I mean, 20 years in and every week we still hear this chant when someone's gotten a promo. Yeah, it's 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 ridiculous. It's it's insane that we still hear that twenty years later, um, twenty one years later. And Austin hasn't been a regular face on TV in almost twenty years. I think you know when he was done the assistant GM role with you know with, with Bischoff on Raw. I think that was kind of the like the mm-hmm. last we saw of him on a regular basis. Yeah, that was about but, nineteen years. Yeah, yeah. But that chant, it just it takes on a life of like a whole life of its own. It's like the Wu chant. Exactly. That's what it's become. Um, all right. So here we go. A video. We're getting up to the undisputed WWF championship match here. A video package aired about the WWF undisputed champion, Chris Jericho, defending the title against the rock. Jericho won the WWF title. Um, 
uh, from The Rock at No Mercy in 2001, three months earlier. Uh, let's see, The Rock won the match against Booker T to earn this title shot. The Jericho told The Rock he was not a joke. The Rock said he was very serious, and they had a big stare down. Uh, I remember, you know, the TikTok promo from The Rock very well at this time, which was pretty awesome, uh, very memorable. Um, the Rock got a mega ovation as the challenger in this match. Uh, he was a six-time WWF champion going into this night. Uh, Chris Jericho was up next as the undisputed champion, which meant he was carrying the WWF title and the former WCW Big Gold with him. Um, JR commented that it would seem like Jericho is the underdog in this match. Um, you know, Jericho beat the Rocket No Mercy in uh, October of 01 to win the WCW title for the first time of his career. Uh, the Rock won it back two weeks later. Then Jericho beat uh, Rock for the title again at Vengeance in December. Uh, and then Jericho also won the WWF title from Steve Austin at Vengeance uh, on that same night as we all remember. Um, I remember going into this match thinking that The Rock would probably win both titles. I really thought that at this time. I was super wrong. Um, but But then again, as a fan in 2002... I didn't expect to see Rock Hogan at WrestleMania two months later. So I assumed in that in January that, you know, leading up to Mania, they're going to put the belt on the Rock. But, you know, clearly that that did not happen. Um, so, again, this is all part of that whole 2001 era of the Rock that we will get into that so much happened. Um so here we go. The Rock versus Chris Jericho for the undisputed WWF championship. The winner by clean pinfall. Um, I, I mean, not necessarily clean, but still pinfall. It was a heel pinfall. Chris Jericho. Um, I don't know if it was a clean pinfall. He had his feet up on the ropes. <laughs> that is true. For a heel, it was super clean. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I gave this match, and this might surprise people, I gave this match five stars. Um, did you? I did. I thought this was outstanding and one of the best matches that they had together. I think it was one of the Rock's best matches he ever had. Um, the win, you know, was like we said, it was as cheap as it gets, which was fitting for his super heel character. And it also protected the rock. The referee bumps were, you know, the way to make it look like the rock should have won the match yet. Jericho managed to find a way to get the win. I thought it was booked super well, even when, um, even though I know some fans hate referee bumps, but in two, in the, in the early two thousands in WWF, there was always going to be a referee bump in a big match. It's just the way it was. Um, you know, you had the low blow and then the exposed steel when the feet on the on on the ropes. Um, it was as cheap as you can get, yet it works so perfectly. You know, and to me, sometimes you need those kinds of endings. And, you know, and in the case of The Rock, it's not like he was hurt by the match. He's a freaking rock at this point. He was Teflon by 2002. Um, this was all about Jericho getting a meaningful win. And I thought it worked perfectly. It really set up Jericho as a legitimate foe to triple h for wrestlemania um and you know I, I thought at this point man and i look back at this era there is no champion no storied superstar in the history of wwe wwf that has done more jobs than the rock and i want people to go back and actually look at that and look look up you know the rock's tenure and how many jobs he's done um it's wild um, how many he 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 has done and it's insane but um you know doing this one for jericho D, uh george how much of a 
of, you know, a tip of the cap is this from, I guess, The Rock and from, you know, McMahon to give Jericho this win at this Rumble over The Rock? Oh, it's it's massive. And if anything, it also, I don't want to say it legitimizes Jericho because it was a cheap heel win, but it, it, it gave him steam. It showed that they had faith in him as a champion and he wasn't just going to be, you know, a paper champion, you know, he was only going to have it for a month and then immediately drop it again. Like, like they clearly had a plan for him, which obviously we know what the, what the end game on that was. Right. Um, which I thought was a, I mean, I, I thought this first hundred of Jericho where it was like monumental for him and it showed that they had faith in him. They, it also did this whole title of random was kind of hurt him too, because mm-hmm. after I mean, even No Way Out, that wasn't a clean win for him either. Like, right. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. And then the whole lead up to WrestleMania, he was he was really just looking like a stooge for for Stephanie. Um, mm-hmm. But but the, but it, but this was a great match between the two of them. Um, Rock and Jericho have always had great chemistry together, whether they yes. were in the ring, whether they were to and fro and back and forth on the mic. Yeah, they, they just had almost like a natural chemistry. Yeah. Um... I agree. I mean, them two in terms of their charisma and, you know, being in the ring together, it was, it felt very natural for them being together. Um, And I agree with you and and it showed. Um, So at this time, there was a shot of the WWF New York with Shawn Michaels standing up on stage. Michaels said that the match between Ric Flair and Vince McMahon was a, was a treat to watch. Michaels had two picks to win the Royal Rumble that were, and they were fellow Texans, Steve Austin and the undertaker. It's so funny. Like I look back watching this at this time of the interview, I had no idea in any realm of any universe that months later that Shawn Michaels would be making his full time in ring return in 2002 um, in SummerSlam. Yeah, I don't think anybody thought that we all yeah. thought, you know, you know, Shawn was going to be out. And the only time we're ever going to see him is when they go to WF New York. <laughs> yes. I yeah. feel like that's. I feel like every time I've watched a pay per view, and they're like, "Oh, we're going to New York." It's like, "Oh, Shawn it Michaels." Shawn Michaels. <laughs> like, does he just go there for every pay per view? Is that just where yes? It, is? it must be. He just hangs out and eats, and then they say, "Oh, let's go on camera, Sean." Um, so speaking, speaking real quick, I'm gonna I'm gonna branch off topic for a quick second because mm-hmm. I don't know if you've noticed, but it seems as though they have shied away from the term pay per view, and are now going with premium live event. Now. <laughs> I don't care right. because pay-per-view is dead. Pay-per-view it doesn't is. exist anymore. It's right. not a thing. Everything is streaming now. Yes. Pay-per-view is, 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 a, is a long forgotten thing, mm-hmm. which only added to my confusion once, you know, this news got out. And as you know, the IWC, as I know the IWC, mm-hmm. oh, what are they doing? This company is going at it. But yeah, it's all the same shit. And I'm commenting, I'm like, you guys know nothing is on pay-per-view anymore, right? Like, pay-per-view nothing doesn't exist. Right. Like, it's not like even on demand. That's uh, whatever. Yeah. There's no, there's no pay-per-view anymore. The, the biggest pay-per-view get over the last decade was UFC, but they're now on ESPN plus. So yeah. it's, so it doesn't even matter. And nobody cares yeah. about boxing anymore. So yeah. Yeah. if anything, they're just, they're just, they're turning away from an outdated term. It's, right. I mean, for a lot of us, we're always going to say pay-per-view because that was just, that's just kind of ingrained in us. Just like how, um, you know, it's like, oh, I got to I gotta record this or I got to like videotape this. It's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm, I'm just recording it. Like it's, yeah, it's just one, it's, 
it's a natural change of progression that of course some people just can't cope with look and it, it, and it <laughs> means the end and vince is going senile and he needs to retire it's like nobody uses the term anymore <laughs> look in like three weeks they're going to be going to saudi arabia and they're going to be collecting a check for 55 million dollars so it, which is more income than aew will see in two years so they're not going out of business they're going to be just fine saudi arabia itself will pay for wrestlemania so it's for, for over over the last couple months the 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 two main things I've seen as a reason why WWE is going to go out of business is because they're not using the term pay per view anymore, and because Road Dog was released from his role as producer. Yeah, like, that'll really put you out of business. It's like, oh, is that the, uh, is that is that the final straw? We're done. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and you're right about the pay per view aspect. I will forever call it a pay per view because mm-hmm. you know for 30 years I've been calling things. Hey, let's watch this pay per view. Because it's it's a, like I grew up in a small town called Riverside, and there is a, a little convenience store that used to be called I forget what street it was on, um, but it was called Cumberland Farms, and it has oh, a, it's on um, Chester. That's it, Chester Ave, Chester Ave, and I, it probably has been not Cumberland Farms for fifteen years. However, if I went to my parents' house and they said, "Go, can you go up to whatever and go grab milk for me?" I mean, they don't do that, but if they did, I'd be like, oh, you mean Cumberland Farms, Cumbo. And it's like, it hasn't been there for 15 years, but I'm always going to call it Cumberland Farms. Yeah, it's um, like Country Farms now or something. Yeah, but it's... It's, it's always, But it's still in the same style of the logo of Cumberland yeah, Farms. Right. So I'll always... It doesn't matter what... They could make it into a, a, a Royal Farms. I'm always going to call it Cumberland Farms. It's just ingrained in my head. Um, so, all right, here we go. Uh, there was a video package. Uh, hyping up the Royal Rumble match, showing a lot of interaction between the guys in the match, like Triple H, Austin, Taker, Angle, Kane, Rob Van Dam, and others. Um, and then here we go. We get to the 30-man Royal Rumble match. Um, the interv- the intervals are set at two minutes for this match as Howard Finkel went over the rules. And you could hear Lawler saying, wrap it up because the match is only one hour. <laughs> so <laughs> it was... Uh, pretty funny um i thought the setup the like the stage for this pay-per-view was sick like the the strobe lighting they had uh, like the laser lights which you really saw during triple h's entrance um i just thought it was a really badass setup um i also i also like the uh the two trons that were set up on either side and then the round one in the middle which is just a countdown timer yes awesome um so i'm gonna kind of skip around here a little bit uh, a huge name comes in at number eight. The Undertaker comes out to a massive reaction. He was in his heel, big, evil, American badass persona here, which I loved. Um, I, I just adored this version of Taker. He took great promos, and he portrayed himself as a real bully uh, at this at this time. Um, he, you know, chokeslams Billy Gunn here. Uh, he chokeslams Goldust over the top onto the floor, a big bump which, for Goldust. Which, which looked like a really sick bump, too. I was oh, like, oh, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you're, I don't know if you remember Chris. Um, I remember specifically leading up to this pay-per-view, they kept cutting vignettes for people who were returning for the rumble and mm-hmm. they cut four specifically for Goldust, Val Venus, Mr. Perfect and the Godfather. Yeah. I wish they didn't do it for Mr. Perfect, but you know, I can't tell them what to do. So um, <laughs> uh, take her throughout. Um, uh, Al Snow, take her boots, Rikishi and hits a close on a send him out too. And then Taker throws Billy Gunn out. So within like two minutes, 
he's eliminated four guys. Um, the look, you know, I, I really liked Undertaker's look at this time too, as you know, he's the only man left standing in the ring for a little bit. Um, just a complete and utter badass at this point, man. And I just love this taker. Um, then Matt Hardy comes in at number nine to a pretty big pop. Lita jumps in the ring with him. She hits Taker with a low blow. Uh, Matt with a neck breaker on Taker as Lita joined Matt in stomping Taker out. She bails as Matt tries to eliminate Taker. Um, Jeff Hardy comes in at number 10, who saves Matt from elimination. They work together on Undertaker with Lita joining in on the fray. Um, Taker has a little bit of a comeback with a double clothesline. Um, Taker throws Matt Hardy out. Uh, that's the sixth elimination by Taker, who was alone in the ring again. So, you know, he eliminates both Hardy boys. And then it gets really interesting here. The number 11 spot belongs to Tough Enough One winner Maven, who was a rookie at this time. Lawler starts laughing as he starts coming down to the ring. <laughs> hey, um, is your watch at a second hand? Yeah. Uh, Undertaker boots him down right away. Taker puts Maven on his shoulder, but sees Lita standing on the ring apron and, sho and shoves her down. Matt and Jeff attack the Undertaker because they're, you know, sore losers, um, which was weird because they were baby faces. Uh, Undertaker throws them out again. Taker stands by the ropes, tells them to get their asses out of the ring. And the biggest shock in the history of the Royal Rumble, even to this point, Maven drop kicks the Undertaker in the back to eliminate him. My God, my God, I don't believe it, screams JR. Um, and he calls it the biggest shock, shocker in the history of the Rumble. Obviously, I just said I agree. The crowd is going banana for what this. A what a pop. Also, I'll know, Chris, when was the last time you watched this pay-per-view? Did you watch it recently? Uh, what's today? Sunday? Uh, Thursday. Okay. So do you remember when Taker came out, the camera was shaking? as it Yes. Was, it showed just how unglued it was for him. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Um, and then you they they pan they pan to Maven and you could see on his lips he says, Oh shit, what did I do? So, yeah. so it's um the Undertaker just looked completely pissed, and this was just classic. Um Undertaker throws Maven out uh through the middle ropes and beats the ever-living piss out of him. Uh Taker hit Maven with one of the biggest unprotected chair shots I have ever, ever seen in my life. Um he he hit that chair shot. I watched it say when he hit that chair shot, I was just like, uh, uh, like I just, <laughs> it sounded and I forgot how bad it sounded. It sounded so bad. It's, <laughs> it was just, I mean, that was like a paying your dues chair shot. Like, Hey, welcome to the business. Uh, you're retiring. Um, <laughs> um, and then number 12, it's time to turn it up for Scotty too hottie. Uh, he's too busy dancing to notice the undertaker. So undertaker decks him with a right hand. That was hilarious. Um, take back your shit off. Yes. <laughs> Taker goes back in the ring to throw Maven over the top and eliminates him, which is weird because Taker is eliminated, but okay. Um, I'm guessing it only, it only counts when it, when it needs to count. Exactly. I'm guessing one of the refs told Taker to put him over the top so they can get, so they could say Maven was eliminated. Uh, Taker throws Maven into the crowd and continues to beat the crap out of him into the aisle. Uh, they show Taker beating up Maven in the concession area. Uh, Christian uh, is number 13. Um, 
Taker leaves Maven lying by a popcorn stand at this point. Maven's head went through the glass of the popcorn machine, so Maven got some color, buddy. Um, uh, while Undertaker decided to eat some popcorn. That's kind of disgusting. But Yeah, we're um, on sanitary. His head just went through. He's bleeding. You know, he's got some bloody popcorn in his mouth. Yeah. But, you know, but he's also the dead man, so what's yeah. going to kill him? So if, if people didn't think, if people thought that the Undertaker had the biggest pop of the night, that was until number 19 when Stone Cold Steve Austin enters the ring, um, who's still the only three-time winner in Rumble history. Uh, the camera goes to the wide lens shot to show the reaction as well as his full entrance. My God, <laughs> Austin was at, you know, back as being as baby face as ever after a failed heel, uh, heel run in 2000, much of 2001. Um, Austin was just th- this crowd. All they cared about was Austin for a little bit. Um, he throws Christian out a stunner on Saturn. He threw Chuck out and then Austin throws Saturn out. Austin looks at his watch, which he's not wearing one, but it's just phenomenal because he did this earlier five years ago in the 97 Rumble. Um, he rolls out of the ring. He grabs Christian, hits a stunner on him, and throws him out again. <laughs> uh, uh, Austin does the same to Chuck. Austin sits on the apron yelling what um, to the crowd. Uh, then the returning Val Venus enters at number 20. Uh, who comes out slowly while the crowd shows some, uh, the, the, the camera shows some ladies in the crowd. Uh, Venus looks jacked. Um, Austin just stomps the shit out of Venus in the corner as a crowd <laughs> chance one. Um, Venus has a little bit of a comeback, but Austin, uh, you know, comes back with a Luthez press. Um, dude, it was just Austin. It was the Austin show um, uh, until we get to, you know, the rest of, of this paper of this uh, uh, rumble, which is just stellar. And I'm going to get into it right now. Um, at this point, before we get to the guy who enters at number 22, uh, George, did you think like, here we go, we're setting up for the, the fourth, you know, rumble win of Austin's career. That's obvious. I mean, it's, it was Austin. I mean, that's, that's to me. What I was thinking, but also at this time, I, I knew that there were some, there's some pretty big names that hadn't entered yet that could mm-hmm. possibly give him a run. So, yeah. So like the Aust- guy who came in 22. Mm-hmm. Austin goes back to the checking the wristwatch gimmick leading to the next entrant, Triple H at number 22. And the arena is unglued. It was so cool if you guys listened to it on Peacock or whenever you listen to it. When, trip- when Motorhead's opening hits, you hear JR go, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was just so cool. Um, this was his rumble return from the Torn Quad. He had suffered back in May of 01 uh, in a match where he teamed with Austin against Jericho and Benoit, uh, which was a five-star match, by the way. Um, they did a fabulous job of hyping his return with video package, leading to the, the biggest pop in WWF history at Madison Square Garden. Um Hunter looks as ripped as any human has ever looked ripped before, by the way. Um, They start throwing punches as the crowd goes bonkers. And then the almighty hurricane comes in at 23 as Austin and Hunter do the double, uh, do the double clothesline spot. Um, Helms was basically a comedic baby face here, but this worked. Helms chokes Hunter with his left hand and then grabs Austin with his right. Um, they look at each other and they, they both grab Hurricane and toss him out. It was just a classic moment. That, I love that. Right. It great. was. 
Um, Hunter gets Austin down with a clothesline, but he can't get him out yet. Austin hits Hunter, Hunter with a spine buster. Um, Farouk comes out, a man comes out at 24, hits a big spine buster on Austin. Um, oh, he's a grown ass man. He's unfuckwithable, according to uh, Farouk. Um, Austin hits a stunner to Farouk, and Farouk's taken out by a Hunter clothesline at about 35 seconds. Um, and then Mr. Perfect returns at number 25. Um, I love his theme song, man. I just love Mr. Perfect. I really do. Um, I have Mr. Perfect on my list as the, the, the greatest wrestler to never win a world title. He's my number one. Yeah. Um, his promos, his gimmick was, no pun intended, perfect. It really was. It was spectacular. And not to mention, literally one of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. Mm-hmm. I just wish he would have had, uh, uh, had a title run. And, it, and it's weird that in the new generation era, he didn't. And it's just so weird to me that he didn't. Um, Perfect hadn't been in a rumble since 1993 due to injuries. And then also went over to WCW to tell the world that rap was crap. Um, (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Perfect was in control of Hunter and Austin with punches and kicks. Perfect looked like he didn't skip a beat. Um, The the three of them kind of slowed down a little bit as they await the next man. And it's Kurt Angle entering his first ever Royal Rumble. Um, he because he had matches, he had singles matches the previous two. This is his first ever actual Royal Rumble match, and and he's um you know he's sporting hair at this point, which he would soon lose. Um, Angle was in his heel role here as a crowd chance. You suck. Um, you've got you know arguably four of the best performers in WWE history in the ring right now, all of whom have had great matches under the belts. Austin and Angle, um, you know, are are two of the best you know, ever. Um, I mean, obviously Shawn Michaels isn't in this match, but you know that he wasn't backed with the company yet. Um, but you know, you got triple H in here and then it kind of goes want, want, want with, you know, the ever, the guy that the guy that can never get eliminated, big show shows up at 27. Um, how are they ever going to get this guy over the top? Every friggin' year was the same thing. Um, show headbutts angle and hits a choke slam, uh, on perfect. Hunter and Austin double team show, but he hits double close on them. Angle goes for a German suplex. That doesn't work out well. Show dominates everybody with headbutts, kicks, and clotheslines for an entire two minute period. Um, and then here comes a big red machine, Kane at number 28, to set up the show down with Big Show while everybody else is down. It's got to be. It has to be Kane. It's got to be. It has to be. Um, maybe it's Brian Lee coming back from the 1994 SummerSlam when he was the Undertaker. Mm. I don't think so because I don't think he ever came back after losing that scaffold match. No, <laughs> no he did not. Uh, Kane is still sporting um, uh, a mask here and and hair, while Jhar uh, hypes up that the previous year uh, Kane had a record eleven eliminations. Um, Show hits him with a boot and they do a double choke spot. Kane um, hits a low blow and picks Show up with a body slam show out of the match it's like that quick just boom done he's gone um who's gonna eliminate the big show and then kane's like i guess i'll do it yeah i know um so let's get to the this also jacked kane and this also jacked kane too he was looking ripped everyone i mean big big shows like fatter than fucking fat but (laughs) like kane it it, it was jacked kane so he was looking great 2001 kane yep 
Austin hits a stunner on Kane and Angle eliminates Kane with an angle slam. You get to number 29, a huge pop for Rob Van Dam in his very first Rumble match. Uh, he hit a five-star frog splash right away on, on Angle. RVD takes out Hunter. Um, number, the number 30 spot um, goes belongs to Booker T, who enters his first Royal Rumble as a heel. So we've got six men left. Booker T quickly throws out RVD, leaving us with five men in the ring. Spinner Rooney time for Booker because, you know, it's just like Hogan where Hogan must pose. Booker has to hit the, the Rooney thing. Um, Austin hits a stunner and Booker goes flying over the top. Yeah. <laughs> he got eliminated from the stunner. Yeah. Great. Booker lasted 33 seconds. So uh, Austin gave Booker the double finger salute. So that always works. The final four is Mr. Perfect, Kern Angle, Austin, and Hunter. Austin hits a catapult on Triple H into the turnbuckle, leading to Angle hitting the Angle slam on Hunter. Uh, Angle hits three rolling Germans on Austin, but Austin fights back with a low blow to break free. Angle and Perfect nearly eliminate Austin. Uh, Austin nearly eliminates Perfect, so Angle charges in and dumps Austin out of the match. Austin was the longest man in the Rumble this year at 26 minutes and 45 seconds. Um, Austin pulls Angle out of the ring to beat the crap out of him, so Angle follows and throws him into the ring steps. Austin grabs a chair, goes back into the ring, and nails chair shots to Angle and Perfect. Austin even hits Triple H with a chair just for the hell of it. Um, all three guys were in the ring as Austin left to cheers. Um, Perfect and Kurt work together, but that doesn't work well as Angle nearly eliminated Perfect. Perfect hits the Perfect Plex, a pinning combination, on Angle to a huge pop. Um, the flying snapmare by Perfect, which I love. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know what that is, just watch a Charlotte Flair match. Uh, she does that now. Um, not as good, obviously. <laughs> not nearly as good. <laughs> no. Uh, Hunter gets back up to quickly eliminate Mr. Perfect. Uh, the match is down to Triple H and Kurt Angle as a final two men in the match. Angle hits an overhead belly-to-belly suplex. Angle's close to eliminating Hunter, but Hunter fights back with punches. Hunter charges. Angle hits a backdrop, but Angle does the Ole uh, via Shawn Michaels' 1995 move where he hangs down with his feet dangling. Um, Hunter comes back with a knee to the face. Angle stumbled towards the angle stumbled towards the ropes, and Hunter clotheslines the shit out of him over the top rope to a mega mega pop. The winner at sixty nine minutes and twenty two seconds, the longest rumble in history, is Triple H. Um, your thoughts on the, on the rumble match, George? Oh, that was a great rumble match. Uh, I, I think if if I'm going off of just the Rumble match itself, I think the match is a ten out of ten, mm-hmm. um, because it, it was it was perfect. You had you had your your, your surprises, which really weren't surprises because they were alluded to in, in previous weeks. But it was, you know, everybody came in and and, and played a part. Um, Taker putting over Maven and then burying Maven in the same almost mm-hmm. the same breath. Yep. Uh, Austin came in looking, you know, like the real strong buck looked like he was going to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. He got thrown out. And then in typical Austin fashion, he's not going to take this line down. He's not going right. to lose it that mm-hmm. um, And Triple H getting the, and, and Triple H going to win. But I'll tell you, when it came down to that final four, I would not have been upset if any of those final people would have won the Rumble. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. And, um, you know, it's a couple of random thoughts I had here of the Rumble. This is sad to think about it. 
This was Steve Austin's last Rumble match. Yeah, which obviously, yeah, which we didn't know at the time, and I think it might have cemented his legacy as the best performer in Rumble history. Uh, he just really shined in all of every Rumble he was a part of. Um, they were perfect for his explosiveness, especially with his stunner uh, finisher. It just suited his offense, which was mostly you know punch and kick and, and a brawler type style which fits the rumble um but it was just he was always very realistic you know even though he was only in six rumbles um you know others like kane and michaels were in double that number um he was a major factor in all of them except his very first one in 1996 um he also had you know held the record uh for most career eliminations with 36 until Shawn michaels passed him in 2010 um and, and then, then kane and then kane <laughs> and then kane yeah in rewatching the match, I was reminded of how much I enjoyed the big evil run of The Undertaker. It was so much fun. His promos were great. He played the bully as well as anybody ever. And he worked with a lot of guys from the Mavens to the Hardy Boys. Um, he just worked with anyone and he made it all believable. Um, I realized, I know, and I love it just as much as everybody else, that the dead man character is what made him famous. It it made him unique and made him a shitload of money. But from an entertainment standpoint, I really just enjoyed the American badass character the best. I really did. Um, do you feel that way? Or are you still a dead man guy? I, I've, I've always been prepared. I've always, uh, I've always waved the flag for the, um, for the American badass. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a biker household. So mm-hmm. I was, I was I was drawn to his gimmick. Plus, it was the Undertaker, so I was getting the best of both worlds. I was getting a I was getting a, a biker gimmick, and I was getting the Undertaker at the same time. Plus, with the biker gimmick, it allowed Taker to be to do a little more in the ring without having to portray this zombie like dead man. He could mm-hmm. do a little more. He could be a little more fluid with his moves. He had a little mm-hmm. bit more agility than what we've seen in previous previous years. Plus, don't forget this, this heel version of Taker was still relatively in its infancy because he turned You're heel right. in November yeah. of the previous year right after because it, it was I remember it was when Vince started doing his kiss my ass club. Yes. And he wanted JR and he wanted JR to kiss his ass. Mm-hmm. And Taker came out and everyone thought Taker was going to save JR. And he was and and he was sitting there and, and ta- I remember Taker told me he's like he's like you're not going to kiss his ass. And Jared's uh, like no I'm yep. not. And then he looks at me and goes you think Are you're you, better than you think you're better than me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he and he lays out Jr. and forces Jr. to, to yep. kiss McMahon. Yep. And awesome. There, he, he was just this you know this uh, bully I guess you could say but he was like so yeah good. just. Just going back like to his matches as the American Badass, his matches with Triple H, his matches with Kurt Angle, The Rock, um, Austin. God, some of the matches he had with Austin were great. Oh, my God. Like some of my favorite matches in wrestling history. Honestly, if we ever do a top 10 favorite matches, a couple of them, I'm telling you, will include the American Badass Undertaker. And I just I don't know what it is, but I just loved it. I loved it. Um, the per- So some a couple facts and opinions on this match. Or my final opinion on, on, on this, the longest person that lasted the longest was Steve Austin, just under 27 minutes. The most eliminations, uh, Taker and Austin were tied with seven. The best elimination, which was also the most shocking moment of the history of Royal Rumble, Maven eliminating The Undertaker. Simply the best surprise elimination 
in Rumble history, in my opinion. Um, you know, Kane body slamming Big Show out of the ring was pretty great, too. Um, the match rating. So 2001 overall is my favorite Royal Rumble of all time. So I'm going to give this like 4.8 stars. Like it's going to be just a notch under um, the 2001 Rumble, in my opinion. Um, you know, there was a lot of slow spots in the middle third of this Rumble match, but it was just, it was still an excellent Royal Rumble for the third year in a row. The stars really carried uh, this while they did a nice job of having some good funny moments mixed in as well as some memorable spots. Um, even though it was an obvious winner in Triple H, it was still just super enjoyable. Um, what was your thoughts on the match itself? Uh, you know, I, all the match itself, it, was, it just, it's an exciting match. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it, it kept me entertained from, you know, from, mm-hmm. from entry one to entry 30 and, and beyond. Uh, as I, I said before, I, I, I give the match itself a 10 out of 10. I think the pay-per-view on a whole is probably somewhere about a seven or eight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, I forgot how good the pay. I, and I told you this in text message. I forgot mm-hmm. how good this pay-per-view was on the whole. Yeah. Yeah. It's like one of those pay-per-views sometimes when you go back and you remember in like, oh, two, it's like WWF was a main event promotion at that time right so i was like ah you know i might be, i might just fast forward through a couple of these matches but no i actually just sat there and i watched the show and i like you said when you texted me that was an enjoyable show i said yeah i mean this overall was a, a great show to watch i really enjoyed it um overall i'm with you i give it an eight out of ten um which for me i don't give out eights normally I'm not like our buddy Dean who will watch like one movie and give it an eight. And then three months later, give it a four. I I'm very serious about my ratings. So like, I don't give out tens or like nines easily. So like to me, like certain pay-per-views get like a 10 out of 10. Like I think for just saying like off the top of my head, WrestleMania, you know, um, thir- uh, WrestleMania 31 is a five out of five, a 10 out of 10 for me. WrestleMania 25, 10 out of 10 for me. WrestleMania 21, 10 out of 10. Like it's even maybe even I think WrestleMania 20 to me was a 10 out of 10. WrestleMania 19 is like a 12 out of 10. Um, WrestleMania 19 is like, I I really want people in 2022 to go back and watch WrestleMania 19. And then when you're done, try telling me it's not one of the best three WrestleManias ever, ever. ever. That card from start, to finish hall of famers start to finish top to bottom hall of fame mm-hmm. unfriggin believable um so definitely check that out uh yeah overall eight out of ten i'm with you on that one um i that's i think that wraps it up overall I, it was a great show um thank you george for joining me again uh, that wraps up our Royal Rumble coverage for 2022. And like I said, we're going to get into, you know, No Way Out 2002, which I really want to cover because uh, that was a debut of, of the NWO. And we're going to get into WrestleMania season. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, Hot Tag Podcast on Instagram. Check us out. Uh, this show should be up by tomorrow, which would be a Monday. So we hope you guys enjoy that. George, thank you so much, man. Thank you. All right, guys, Uh, I'm Christy Francesco. That's George Rogers. This has been the Hot Tag Wrestling Podcast, and we will catch you guys down the road. Have a good one. Bye-bye.